CSN International presents To Every Man an Answer, the live apologetics program that equips you to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. If you have a Bible question or a question on the Christian faith, you can call us at 1-888-827-5276. Again, that's 1-888-ASK-CSN. Let's get things started. Here's today's host, Mike Kessler. Hi, and welcome to Wednesday's edition of To Every Man and Answer. We're one day closer, everyone. Yeah, one day closer for the Lord taking us home. And I don't know when that will be, but we're just here to encourage you to keep your light shining and uh, encourage you every way that we can. We get together every weekday afternoon at this time answering questions about the Bible from the Bible, looking at current events, what we hear in church. And, uh, you know, so many times we're... We, we find that so much of what people believe isn't even in the Bible at all. So it's a good idea to know what the Word of God says. And if you've been reading your Bible, come across something you don't understand, well, you give us a call. We'll do our very best to give you a good biblical answer. Joining me today, special guest Jeff Wickwire, Senior Pastor, Turning Point Church, Dallas-Fort Worth, Texas, and has the program Hardwired, and uh, so glad you're with us. Good to be here, Mike. Looking forward to a great show. Here we are. Hard to believe, isn't it, that we're almost at Christmas again. Uh, I don't know about you, but I know you're a pastor and I'm a pastor. And you get into that rhythm of Wednesday to Sunday to Wednesday to Sunday, and it just eats years up. It eats months up. And before you know it, here we are again. And then what? you know what? Before you know it, it's going to be Easter again. So unless the Lord returns, and that would be fine with me. Amen. So, anyway, uh, looking forward to a great show and uh, maybe some Christmas questions. You never know. That's right. You know, and and uh, real quickly for everybody, um, we've tried to be busy. You know, we really appreciate everybody supporting us and all these things. And um, uh, we built some new radio stations in the last month. We have uh, about ten new ones. We've added about a half a million potential listeners. Now, and uh, I'll just read those off in case you have friends, relatives, or if you're in these areas that I'm reading on a new station, please call us. We got a couple of presents we'd like to give you for for listening and calling in. <clears throat> we have our new newest one, Elmira, New York, uh, eighty-eight point nine, Kanakee, Illinois, ninety point three, Pontiac, Illinois, eighty-nine point five. Quincy, Illinois, 89.7. Terre Haute, Indiana, 91.3. Okito, Kansas, 88.7. Franklin, Nebraska, 90.1. Grand Island, Nebraska, 89.5. And Meridian, Mississippi, and uh, at 88.7. So if you're listening in any of those areas, we'd love to hear from you, especially uh, from our new stations. And uh, again, the number to call if you want to be part of the program today, 8888-ASK-CSN. we got some lines open if you want to be part of the program, and we'll do our very best to answer your question for you today. You know, um, Jeff, with so many things going on, you know, I, I thought it was rather interesting. As I watched last night or yesterday, Um, our president uh, went and just without really, I guess, from any congressional approval, just cut um, um, the Ukraine uh, billions of dollars in money. 
And I, I thought that was rather interesting because they're always saying, oh, Trump says he's going to be a dictator when he gets in. Well, friends, what we saw yesterday falls into that line. Uh, not anything Trump's done, but what they're doing. You know, I, I just thought it was interesting, Jeff, <clears throat> that, that we're spending these literally hundreds, billions of dollars to stop communism, socialism from taking over the Ukraine. And yet, in our own Congress, we have Bernie Sanders, an avowed socialist communist, spent his honeymoon in Russia. We're going around the world to fight communism, and we won't even deal with it in the White House and in the Congress. What's your take on that? Well, you know, you, you start wondering, are we looking at a supernatural blindness from God? Uh, seriously. You know, has America, as far as the depth of her sin, and let's face it, it's deep. Uh, America right now is putting Sodom to shame. Uh, so when you look at the depth of America's sin, then you start wondering, is God uh, turned us over? Has he turned us over, you know, per Romans 1? Uh, at, at least a large swath of the population, ha- have, have they been turned over to this judicial blindness? And that's what it's called when God sends blindness on a culture or on a person it's called judicial blindness, where he's part of his judgment is you can't see the truth anymore. And because you look at what's going on and, you know, spiritually speaking, it's as if Washington is just totally blind. Officially, I mean, totally industrial strength blind, where they, something can be right in front of their face, like the whole movement towards socialism, communism. Not as Bernie Sanders, but AOC and the so-called squad and so many others that are part of the, of the Democrat Party. And I suspect, you know, a few Republicans, I've really come to believe that most Republicans in Congress there are just Democrats light. Yeah. And, um, you know, there, there just seems to be this blindness that the nation is being destroyed, but either they don't see it or they see it and they don't care. One of the two. But, or, it, yeah, or, it's it, de- it's, or it's deliberately on purpose. Or, because, yeah, or it's absolutely on purpose. You know, uh, um, it was um, right uh, about 1960, Russia said, we'll take over your country and never fire a shot. And they're absolutely right on target. Our borders now overran by the hundreds of millions of people now. Uh, you, when you add up all those that have crossed the border illegally, just all of them that have crossed the border illegally. I think we're right at about, uh, you know, you know, 80, 90 million people. Uh, this is crazy stuff, man. I, and I mean, yeah, it's, it is, it, it's, you can only put so many straws in a pop bottle and you run out and there's no way the United States can support the entire world. So it has to be deliberate to financially destroy America. Now, very quickly, and we're going to go to the phones, but very quickly, the entire world's population, all the nation's total debt is $97 trillion. $97 trillion is the world's global debt. And when you stop to think America is almost half, just one country, the United States, is almost half of the entire world's debt. $37 trillion. $37 trillion. And that doesn't count... The other things that were leveraged on, if you add those in, it's it's probably about half. But when you realize that one nation 
is this far in debt? Friends, it is staggering. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I mean, I, the, the new IRS forms are going to be, how much did you make? Send it in. Because uh, we're, we're unsustainable <laughs> right now. Yeah. And you'd think, yeah, well, it's irrecoverable. We, we ought to stop spending money. Oh, no. The Inflation Reduction Act, which was just exactly the opposite. $1 trillion, friends. Again, every time they print a trillion dollars, your 401k turns to a 201k. And again, because it devalues your money, it becomes a monopoly money. And that's what we're seeing. So everybody's saying, oh, inflation, inflation. Listen, that is not going to come under control until our federalities stop spending money uh, as fast as the printers can print it. There's where your problem is. And when you have national debt at the staggering level we have, when you have our borders overran, literally tens of thousands a day, a day are coming across from all over the world now, and especially the Middle Eastern countries, uh, not to mention the fentanyl and everything else. America is in its final hours, friends. I, I believe we are in a rapid, rapid decline. And so work for the night is coming. We must be about our father's business. This Christmas time, you're going to be around friends and relatives that you probably won't be around next year. You may be gone. They may be gone. So let your light shine. Be about your father's business. The Bible says work for the night is coming when no one can work. And I believe it's so important that we discern the days that we're in. Let's go to the phones. We have Mike on the line in Massachusetts. Hi, welcome. Hey, uh, good good evening, everybody, and to the host. I appreciate you taking my call and uh, making sure that I got through because I know I'm curious for this answer, and I hope that somebody else listening uh, that has been thinking the same thing gets enlightened through it. All right. Uh, my, question, my question is, you hear a lot about the rapture. Yes. There are evangelists on TV talking about it. Billy Graham talked about it. Um, I do read the Bible, and it's, the, the Bible is so deep that it just takes a lot of help to understand a lot of it, and I just I don't understand what the rapture is, and it seems like a lot of people have kind of educated guess to it, but if I could hear you guys' take on it and um, backed up by biblical reasoning, I'd appreciate it. Oh, I'm so, so glad you called, Mike, because it is so important. It is not a mystery. It is not hard to understand. It's explicitly clear. Paul made it that way, and uh, he uh, and we find picture types of it um, even in the Old Testament. Enoch, before the flood, walked with God and was taken before a great judgment came upon the earth, where only Noah and his immediate family was preserved through it. I look at Enoch as a type of the church. God takes, God protects Noah and his family, the Jewish people through the tribulation period. Uh, and so you find a, a cataclysmic global judgment in the flood. You find a cataclysmic global judgment in the tribulation. But the Bible says God's bride, and that's who we are, is not appointed to his wrath. And so Paul says, I, sh- I share this with you, we're not all going to die, but we're going to be transformed in a moment twinkling of an eye. This is in 1 Corinthians 15. 
But the main thing is that we find in, in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus said this, As in the days of Noah were, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. They were eating and drinking and marrying. And they didn't know that they were on the verge of a giant global judgment. That's where I believe we're at today. The rapture of the church, I believe, when Jesus comes to take his church home, will be during this time of eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage. Because the second coming of Christ, not the rapture, but the second coming, some seven years later or thereabouts, comes Jesus comes when the Bible says the whole world is almost completely decimated. In fact, it says in Matthew 24 as well, unless those days were shortened, there'd be nobody left alive. That's how bad uh, the world um, goes into a tailspin for those seven years. And um, all the, the oceans, are, are, are the, every living thing in the sea has died. All the water are, are, uh, turned to blood. Uh, the, um, all the trees, the, the plants all burnt up. Um, you have a global war, the battle of Armageddon. It is an eat, drink, and be merry. Uh, like you find at the time of, of Noah or at the time of the rapture. But mere survival is all you're really finding at the at the uh, end of the tribulation period. And I believe this is why it's so clear that the second coming of Christ, where every eye will see him, is so much different than when Jesus said, in the rapture, behold, I come as a thief. Now, there's so many verses. And you know, Jeff... Um, you know, this is something, this, in fact, Paul says to encourage one another with these words concerning the Lord going to take us home. Your thoughts? Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, per your question, Mike, um, you know, you stop to think about what was promised by Jesus himself and then the church, the apostles, uh, those that preached the gospel afterwards. And the, the core message of the gospel is that whoever believes on Christ uh, will have eternal life. Not death, but life. And Jesus said that he that has believed on him has passed from death to life. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, the, the resurrection chapter, uh, Paul quotes uh, the Old Testament. He says, O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. The thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, when the rapture happens, the dead in Christ are coming out of the, their graves first. There will be a mass exit from graves all over the world. In every time zone, every continent, every country, there will be a mass, uh, a mass exit of uh, bodies coming out, of, even if they were ashes. That's no problem to God. Remember, he made man out of dirt. So it's no problem for God, even if you're, because Paul's body right now, it's ashes. So is Peter's. So is John's. You know, their bodies are ashes somewhere in the world. So does that hinder God from bringing them out of the grave, giving them a glorified body? Not at all. Because God, again, Genesis tells us that everything else he created, he's spoken into existence. But with man, he created man out of the dust of the earth, out of, out of the dirt. So it's no problem for God to call mere ashes out of a grave, even if they're scattered, even if they're in the ocean, no matter where they are. 
and and give them a glorified body. That's what if we if we don't make the rapture, if we do die before the rapture uh, were to happen, that's the hope we die with. That's the great hope, the blessed hope that one day the trumpet's going to blow, and the dead in Christ are going to rise first. And so we, you know, the saints of old have all died, uh, leaning on and believing and placing their hope and faith in that promise that we're coming out of the grave. And if you happen to be alive, walking around, going to the store, whatever it is you're doing, uh, you're going to be caught up. Harpazo is the Greek word, and it's a word that really is a violent seizing. It's a, it's a, it's a very, uh, forceful seizure of something. So there is not just this kind of floating up into the air, but there is this forceful, uh, taking away from this earth, pulling the saints off this earth in a moment, in the twinkle of an eye, in, in a moment of time, faster than a camera flash we will receive glorified bodies and go up. And so it's a fulfillment of the gospel. When the rapture happens, death, where's your sting? Grave, where's your victory? Because any saint that died with faith in Christ, uh, the grave is not going to have victory over them. Will not. That's the core promise of the gospel. Whoever believes on him will not perish, but have eternal life. The grave will not hold you. It says it did not hold Jesus. It could not keep him. He was the first fruits, and it will not hold us. It cannot keep us. Yeah, so you find 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 uh, talks about this wonderful event. Jesus himself spoke about it in Matthew chapter 24. That which Jesus is talking about there in Matthew chapter 24, um, as in the day of as in the days of Noah, where social coming of the Son of Man be, is not talking about the second coming of Christ. I believe that is talking about the rapture of the church. Because uh, when you really look at the second coming of Christ, they're not eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage. It is mere survival. And uh, it is very clear how bad it is right at the end of the tribulation period. When Jesus Christ comes back, in this, in the second coming of Christ, the Bible says, "As lightning flashes from the east into the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Every eye will see him." But Jesus, speaking of the rapture, says, "Behold, I come as a thief." And um, then the Bible says, Jesus said, "Pray that you would be found counted worthy to escape all these things, the judgment, the tribulation period, and to stand before the Son of Man." You find the church, interestingly enough, in heaven after chapter 3. It says in chapter 5, who has redeemed us from every tribe, kindred, tongue, and nation. That's the church. You never find the church mentioned again on the earth in Revelation after chapter 3. It's either in heaven or we come back with him on the horses. Uh, And so, again, I believe this is why it's so important. Uh, And and, uh, I hope that answers it for you. Well, they talk about being fed by the word, but and, and you guys certainly do feed the masses on the radio, and thank God for that. That was like a full course meal, so thank you. It was comforting. I hope it was comforting to others who have been thinking about the same thing. Um, at some point in your show, if you could just do me a favor and pray for um, everybody out there that's struggling, 
And um, You know, Mike, let's pray right now, because I agree with you. Father, we lift up every person's heart that's listening, those especially, and especially at this time of Christmas, that struggle, either because loss of loved ones, loved ones that are not walking in your love. Father, those that are split up by fights and disagreements. Lord, those that are without jobs. Lord, may you reach out your hand and touch your children, God. Those that are missing their loved ones, let them know they have a family outside of their own immediate family, the body of Christ. Let those that know that they're they're having trouble this financially this season, that you are the our provider, you're Jehovah Jireh, you provide, you take care of us. Lord, we pray for those who are lonely this Christmas. They may be in rooms full of people, but they're so lonely inside, God. I pray you comfort them. And so, Lord, we, we just lift up Mike's request, and we, we just ask you, God, that your Holy Spirit would just would just do your very best. In Jesus' name, amen. Mike, our prayers are with you. Stay in line. I'll send you out a couple of books, a couple of DVDs, okay? Well, that sounds great. Thank you so much. God bless you. Enjoy them and uh, share them with your uh, family. Uh, some pretty good stuff there to watch. And God bless you. Let's go to Kyle, St. Louis, Missouri. Hi, welcome. Hi, can you hear me? Yes. How may we help? Uh, so I've got a question about the Garden of Eden. Um, and before I do that, I uh, just appreciate you guys very much. Uh I go to Calvary Chapel Festus with uh, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. Scott Bunker as the as the pastor. Um, but uh, anyway, so um, I was listening to a, a past teaching, and I think it was in August sometime um, about the uh, you know the Garden of Eden and the angel um, guarding the Tree of Life once Adam and Eve sinned, and mm-hmm. then they uh, basically God's. Uh, God was merciful enough to uh, guard them from eating the tree of life. Um, yes. So I guess my question is, um, did those angels, I would assume those angels stayed there until the flood, right? Uh, where the flood basically wiped out everything. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess that's that's basically my question is, um, did the angels that were guarding, you know, the Garden of Eden, um were they still there? You know, the Bible doesn't say. And I have found when the Bible is silent, it's wise to be silent. Uh, I know a lot of people have a lot of speculations. Now, as an example, just to tell you, we know before the flood, the Bible says the world was watered uh, by a mist, by a dew. Uh, some people acquaint it to maybe the wet side of, of Hawaii. Um now, what is interesting in Hawaii, I, I cannot speak because I wasn't there concerning the Garden of Eden and the angels and stuff, but I have actually seen the jungle eat houses. Now, not uh, set down with a fork and spoon and, and a knife, but literally um, when something in a tropical area, like, for instance, again, oh, the, the earth before the flood, it is very possible that the Garden of Eden could have just become overgrown. Now, remember, one of man's jobs, if you go back and study, was what was Adam's job that God gave him to do? Take care of the garden. Well, there was no caretaker anymore. 
And so it may have been just a, a number of years. Maybe it could have been, you know, 10 years, 30 years, 50 years, whatever it was. I don't know. But it eventually may have been so overgrown that where it was actually at, people lost track of. Because in, in Hawaii, I, I know that I've actually seen uh, houses that have not been taken care of. The roof starts leaking. Uh, the floors get wet. The walls fall apart. Termites move in. And in within just a couple of years, you you just see a pile of something that's completely overgrown with vines. You don't even know that it was a house. And that was a house. So I don't know what the garden could have been like, uh, but we find, we don't find that perhaps um, any more mention of them uh, other than to keep man from entering back into the Garden of Eden and partaking of the tree of life in its lost condition. Your thoughts? Yeah, you would surmise that God saw to it that you could not get back into the garden because uh, man was fallen now. The plan of redemption was already in motion. Genesis 3.15, uh, the John 3.16 of the Old Testament, uh, promising uh, a redeemer who would bruise Satan's head, uh, had already been given to the first couple and the devil. I'm going to raise up you know, a, a bruiser of your head. And uh, so his adversary, uh, Jesus would be his adversary that would uh, finally and ultimately get victory over him and undo the terrible thing he had done. So uh, that said, man was fallen. Uh, his nature was fallen. His relationship with God had been affected. Uh, we know that his relationship with uh, other human beings had been affected. You know, Cain killed Abel. Um, Adam and Eve, right off the bat, were blaming each other for their own mistakes. So you find, uh, you know, relational dysfunction immediately after the fall. So, uh, and there the tree of life was in the Garden of Eden. And we know that God did not let Adam and Eve back in there, drove them out, because if in that fallen state they had eaten of the tree of life, then they would have lived forever in that fallen state and been irredeemable. So God stopped them from getting to that tree. So whether he had those cherubim there, those angels um, guarding the garden, for, oh, you know, a few centuries or so, no one knows. But one way or another, I believe God made sure nobody could go in there and eat of that tree. Amen. And uh, I hope that answers it for you, Kyle. Uh, uh, if it didn't, we'll pick it up on the other side of the break. And we are coming upon that break. And we'll have more coming up right after this. We'll be right back. In 2007, when Dan Steiner, president of Preborn, cried out to God, what can I do for you? The answer came loud and clear. I sense God's broken heart over the issue of abortion. You see, he sees every little baby that's being formed in the mother's womb, and it breaks his heart to see when the lifetime that he has planned for them is taken from them violently so often. But if we can get a mom into one of our clinics and show her her baby, and she has that a close encounter of the best kind in her womb, she will choose life. 
Preborn network of clinics have rescued over 200,000 babies from abortion. To learn more about the life-saving work of Preborn, call 855-668-BABY. That's 855-668-BABY. Or visit preborn.com. That's preborn.com. All gifts are tax-deductible. Your love can save a life. So right now may be the perfect time for you to rethink how you pay for health care. And here's why. Not only is it open enrollment for a lot of people, it's also a time you can join MediShare and save even more than usual. For many families, switching to MediShare saves about $500 a month, which is a game changer for a lot of people. And what's more, they like it. MediShare has double the member satisfaction rate compared to health insurance. Double. MediShare is a proven thing, too, for over 30 years. It's a Christian community of more than 400,000 members. And here's the thing. If you join before December 15th and you mention the promo code SHARE, you'll get another 10% off all of 2024. That's 12 months of savings. So I'll give you the number here in a second. But call. You'll get a price within two minutes. And again, the deadline's December 15th. So call now. You'll save even more. Here's the number. 855-91-BIBLE. That's 855-91-BIBLE. 855-91-BIBLE. Welcome back to part two of Every Minute Answer here on this Wednesday afternoon with Jeff Wickwire. I'm your host, Mike Kessler. And when we went to the break, we were speaking with Kyle, uh, asking about the Garden of Eden. Are, were, the, the, were the angels still there to keep Adam and Eve from going back in? The Bible doesn't say, but uh, as we mentioned, in a very, very tropical type environment, which it appears the world was before the flood, it may not have taken very many years, uh, decades, for it to completely get overgrown. One of Adam's jobs, again, when we remember, he was a keeper of the garden, uh, and uh, that had been a fun job, uh, seeing all the great things that God created and growing and everything. But with no keeper there and uh, with things growing, it may not have taken very long for the garden even Eden to just completely become overgrown, gone, and obliterated. And I shared about how oftentimes in uh, tropical zones, uh, Hawaii, Florida, un- un- uh, attended houses, uh, it doesn't take very long for them to literally uh, crumble. And and I, I use the term the jungle ate them. Literally, it does. It just kind of mm-hmm. just devours them. And uh, the rust sets in, everything, and they're gone. So uh, we don't know. And so, Kyle, I hope that answered it for you. It did. Thank you. God bless you. Did you have any other question? Oh, no, that's that's it. All right. Well, Kyle, God bless you. Stay in line, and we'll do our very best to get you out some uh, books, DVDs. I think you'll enjoy sharing with your friends, especially over the holidays. 8888. Ask CSN is the number to call if you want to be part of the program today. And we have Cindy on the line in Klamath Falls, Oregon. Hi, welcome. Hi, um, I just have a question. Um, in Deuteronomy 32, 8 and 9, it talks about the Most High. And um, I just wanted to see if the Most High was different than Jehovah Yahweh or if, because um, it talks about like his portion and his inheritance. I just wanted to see if the Most High was a different God than Yahweh. Yeah, El Elyon in, in Hebrew. Your thoughts? 
Yeah, it is Elion, and it's just a uh, basically is talking about his position. It means high or upper, and so it's simply just you know God is the most high. There's no one uh, more upper than he is. He's he's the highest. His name is the highest. He holds sovereign power over all the creation. So it's simply really uh, is an adjective uh, that describes something about him. He's the highest of the high. There is no other God like him, and so on and so forth. And then in verse 9, when it talks about, uh, when it actually says, uh, let me see here, I've got it right here. Uh, Yahweh is the word used in verse 9, and that's just the most common name for God in the Bible. That's the name God revealed himself to Moses with. And uh, so you have two names. One is adjective. Uh, here's something about God. He's the highest. And then his name, Yahweh, uh, meaning uh, God, the very God. Um, it's just his, really his formal name. So those two differences, and they're powerful verses. And, um, you know, we ought to, thinking about verse 8 and the way that God is described as the most high, really it's, advantageous to keep that in mind when we're seeing so much evil around us, so many things going sideways, so many things uh, just, like I said at the beginning of the program, we're giving Sodom a run for its money, Um, so much darkness. It, It is really helpful to remember that the God we serve is the highest of the high. He is the sovereign ruler. There is no one with his power, no one like him. He is, he is very God and all of that entails. And that's encouraging to me, Mike. Yeah. And when we really look at this, God revealed his name to the Jewish people, Yahovah or, or Yahweh. Now, the world outside of, of Judaism or outside of, of, um, uh, the, the covenant with Abraham, the world knew God by El Elyon, the Most High. Um, but God has revealed his name to his people. And yet there is one other further step, and that is God has revealed himself to his own, those born-again believers, as Father. In the Old Testament, the idea of God and addressing God as their father was very foreign. They didn't feel worthy enough, and that who are you to call God your father? But when we look in the Bible, we find this is the relationship that God endeavored to have with man all along, that which was really lost in the garden, and he would come and walk with man in the cool of the evening, the Bible says. So when we understand the world would know God by El Elyon, the Most High. The followers of God through uh, Abraham knew him as Yahweh or Yehovah. And then we as believers know him as Daddy. And I love that because Jesus all the time, and you don't find the Old Testament, even Old Testament prophets referring to, to God as Father continually. But remember, Jesus continually referenced um, 
God is his father as well. I don't do anything, Jesus said, that I don't see the Father doing. When you pray, pray in this manner. Our Father, which art in heaven, hanging on the cross, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. See, this was really foreign to the Jewish belief system. But yet we understand that this is the relationship that was lost in the garden, this close, intimate fellowship, not a mechanical religion. I'm going to go through a bunch of uh, uh, religious, you know, uh, feel my beads and, and, and look at statues and, 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 and approach God in 16th century King James English. Oh, thou Godeth above all gods, farthest beyond the outer universe, I come and beseech. No, God just wants us to be honest with him. Daddy, I'm hurting. And this is the exclusive right that we have as believers in Christ Jesus, that not only do we know his name, but we know he's father. And friends, religion and cults never offer that. It's always you've got to appease God. You've got to prove your worthiness by going door to door, selling flowers in airports, you name it, somehow generating your own spirituality to approach God. Um, that's the way the cults work. Burn incense. Where we as Christians, we come to him because of Jesus Christ, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And friends, that is what makes the difference. And that's what I tell everybody right now. You need a daddy. And who's your daddy? And you know, as I watch Hollywood so often, just totally obliterate the father image. You know, you, you go back and you watch those programs in the 60s. I've shared this before, but, you know, our uh, father knows best and, and my three sons and even the Andy Griffith show. Dad always had the right answer. But today's movies, today's sitcoms, dad is the idiot doofus in the room. A 16-year-old kid knows way more than his dad. And you see this exemplified in, well, you pick any one of your modern-day sitcoms, dad is the idiot. Well, I believe it's because the devil controls pretty much Hollywood. And I believe the devil will do whatever he can do to destroy what a real loving father is like. And so you will have difficulty relating to a father in heaven, as Jesus said, our father which art in heaven. I believe there's that uh, uh, dementia that comes in there by the devil to destroy that. So always remember, even if you didn't have a good earthly father, I got good news for you, you got a heavenly father that's crazy about you. And call him that. Hope that helps, Cindy. Um, Can I ask another question? Sure. It says that the Lord's portion or um, inheritance, like he's getting that from somebody else or something that sounds like then. Well, God is the one that owns all things, and he's the one that distributes it. Any last thoughts, Jeff? Well, it says the Lord's portion is his people. Uh, Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. So, you know, God called out uh, the Jewish people, beginning with Abraham, Genesis 12, 1 to 3, uh, God called out Abraham. He became the father of uh, what we could call the Jewish race. And um, they were called out by God to be, number one, the ways, the way by which, the lineage by which Messiah would come into the world. And, of course, he ultimately came into the world via the tribe of Judah, one of the sons of Jacob. So uh, 
that's one reason God called them. But he also called them to be a testimony to the world of their day, the time of their their day. Uh, they were to hold out his word. They were to talk about the reality of there being one true God. The Lord your God is one God. Uh, they were called out to be a testimony, to, to preach and teach and communicate the reality of the real God. Because the world even then was filled with paganism, was filled with false beliefs. Um, you know, during the time of Moses, I believe, is or Abraham, is it might be when Buddha was walking around. Uh, depending on where you went in the world, there was a potpourri of false belief systems, cultic-like beliefs. And so God raised up Israel to bring the message of the one true God. So they, his people, the Jewish people, were his inheritance. That is, they were the ones he called to do that. And again, ultimately, that through them would come the Messiah, which is how the promise of Abraham came to pass when God said, through you, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. Well, how could that be? Well, through the Messiah. And I'll tell you, just as a footnote, uh, it, America, listen, Israel doesn't depend on America for survival. America depends on Israel for survival. Now, that may be a really foreign thought, but if Israel goes down, we go down. We need Israel as a free nation in the Middle East. And uh, so the last thing you want to do is run it down, fail to protect it, uh, come against it. This whole wave of anti-Semitism is purely demonic. It's satanic. There's no rhyme or reason or rationale for it. How, how is it that, you know, all these tens of thousands of young college students, Harvard, Princeton, MIT, uh, all these, these uh, high-end, uh, uh, you know, universities, these these top-notch universities, how are they producing all of these anti-Semites? Well, I'll tell you, it's demonic. The very root of it is demonic. And I was thinking about, uh, just in as far as my comments here, uh, when you go to Auschwitz and look at a couple of the other places where they exterminated the Jewish people in a incomprehensible fashion, uh, you'll see written on the oven walls, Never again. Never again. That's the resolve of the Jewish people. Never will this happen again. And we all assumed it never would after the Holocaust. That the Holocaust somehow taught us a universal, uh, you know, never-ending lesson, but it didn't. Here's the same spirit that was under Hitler, the anti-Semitism. You better be careful what you attack and what you criticize because God, right here in, in your verse that you gave us, uh, Cindy, the Lord's portion is his people. And to come against them is to come against him, and that's to get into a whole world of trouble. Mike? Yeah, what a shameful thing. Uh, Harvard University, their president, uh, yeah, said that, yeah. that, 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 um, that, um, uh, killing Jews, um, under certain conditions was okay. I, 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 how this person holds on to their job, there's there's some funny business going on, everybody, because nobody that would make a remark like that in any way, shape, or form of an Ivy League school 
Well, I think uh, the Ivy League school's out in the bushes now because I'll tell you something. If this is where they stand, I I, I don't think anybody that – I don't know anybody that would hire anybody from, from there. If this no, is kind of an affor- a built-in philosophy from Harvard people based on their president, um, I would tell yeah. everybody everywhere to immediately stop supporting any group of people that are that are – anti-Semitic that believe it's okay to uh, kill Jews under certain conditions. Uh, yeah. Friends, this Which is... Which is exactly the way Hitler thought. Yeah, th- this is... this is, uh, and, and for somebody like that to hold a prominent position still and not be immediately fired, I, I've got to really doubt that Harvard is not the school anymore. I, I yeah, think, and Mike, if I could say... <laughs> I think you could pick 600. any school. And be yeah, farther six, ahead. Exactly. 600 professors in Harvard uh, signed a document that they stand behind her. But now the recent news is 700 former students, alumnus, alumni, uh, supporters, contributors, donators have demanded that she go. So it, it's just how do 600 professors there Say, no, 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 she's good. Keep her. Well, and those 600 so you, professors are indoctrinating young people's minds. Yes. So this That's shows you how rotten Harvard really has become now. Uh, when you it's have... Incomprehensible. It's It's unbelievable that this is, is a, a school that once taught the Bible. And now yeah. you see you see what, what this has become. And uh, I'll tell you... Those 600 professors that are influencing young people, um, they all need to be fired. All of them. Not just the president. All of them need to go. You do not have... Harvard is not an Ivy League school anymore. It's just just a place of indoctrination. And what a terrible tragedy. But, you know, like, uh, remember, Russia said, we're going to overthrow America without ever firing a shot. And how are they going to do that? To infiltrate the schools, the seminaries of America, radio, television, news media, movies, all that, and to and to change what people, the way people think about everything. And friends, it's working because now murdering people, putting babies in ovens, like uh, Hamas did, beheading babies, putting them in ovens and cooking them. And we have Harvard, the Harvard president standing behind this behavior. I, I really fire all of them. I know at least 601 people that need to immediately go. And so don't, don't anybody ever think, well, I, I wish I could go to an Ivy League. That is not an Ivy League school. It's just nothing but a place of, of, of propaganda. Very careful, man. We are in the last days, man. And we got to remember, where's going to be salt and light while we're here and to stand for Israel. And by the way, we're not the only, you know, uh, country that, that uh, for all the trouble that we've, we've endured for standing with Israel, there's at least eight other countries that have stood with Israel as well. Of course, the American American news media don't tell you about them. Uh, it's just it's just America and that and 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 that radical nation of Israel. That's it. The whole world's against yeah. it. No, 
don't believe the American news media. Everyone is rotten, rotten to the core. Don't believe anything. If I tell everybody, if their lips are moving, they're probably lying. They cannot tell a story straight. They, they twist it for their own propaganda value. They have almost universally stood behind the anti-Semites. Yeah, and and, and uh, it, it's it's uh, unbelievable. I I just now somebody might ask real quick. This is a little bunny trailer, but people say, well, why why is it that um, people hate Jews? I believe it's generated by Satan, and here's why: mm-hmm. when you look and whether now going back into I, I said how the the seminaries have been influenced, the idea of replacement theology. God is done with the nation of Israel. God has nothing more to do with Israel than he does with Peru. This is a lie from the pit. Now, let me explain why. I believe the devil. Now, remember, pride blinds people to reality. And that's what got him kicked out of heaven in the first place, Isaiah chapter 14. I believe that if he can destroy the Jews, the promises of Israel that Jesus spoke about, Jerusalem coming back under Jewish control, Luke chapter 21, when you go into the book of Revelation, how you have the two prophets in the streets of Jerusalem warning the world not to take the mark of the beast, the 144,000 Jews that are in service to God, all these things. I believe he thinks if he can destroy the Jews, destroy the Jewish nation, the prophecies in the book of Revelation and the rest of the Bible cannot come true and the Bible would be false. And so I believe that it's not just the Jews that the devil hates, but it's that it's God's chosen people in that God works through this nation to show his faithfulness. Now, remember, everybody, Israel's not a faithful to God nation. They, they just really aren't. But even though they haven't kept their end of the promise, God will keep his. And he is faithful to them to the end, the Bible says. But if the devil can destroy Israel, destroy the Jews, well, then the Bible falls apart. But you see, God's word is sure, and we can stand on it. But I believe this is why you find this, and you find such butchering, such hatred to gas, destroy six million people because of their ethnicity, what Hitler did? It's crazy. But see, it shouldn't surprise us, because Satan said, all the kingdoms of the world are mine, and mine to whomever I want to give them to, Jesus, if you'll bow down and worship me. And Jesus rebuked him, and we need to do the same. Hope that helps. Um, would it be okay if I ask one more question? Sure. Witness, and so, you know, they believe the 144,000 are the only ones that'll go to heaven. How do we know, is there a scripture or something that will prove that we all go to heaven too because it just or the Jehovah's Witness doctrine is so bad. It is mm-hmm. so bad. Even they have to rewrite their own Bible. They rewrote the the New World Version in 2013 uh, from 2012. The 2013 New World Version has 10 percent less words in it than the 2012 version. Hmm. Boy, that that takes a lot of liberty to you know. Well, they just changed the Bible. Now, as far as only 144,000 going to heaven. It is totally ridiculous. It is against everything that we find that Jesus said. 
absent from the body, Paul says, present with the Lord. You don't find this only 144,000 going to heaven. They are John so, saw a vast multitude that nobody could number. And 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 even more the revelation. The the hundred and forty four thousand are Jews, not Jehovah's Witnesses. See, they say that their original foundation of the Jehovah's Witness organization was the hundred and forty four thousand. Absolutely false. It says they are Jews, just so somebody can't mess it up. It lists the tribes by name in Revelation chapter seven. And it says they're males and they're virgins. That does not fit the Jehovah's Witness thing at all. But see, that's where they come from. They they just, um, well, I, I, I think they should read Revelation 22 and find out what happens to people that tamper with God's word to that level. But um, no, you know, um, so many verses, Jeff, about we all get to go to heaven, that, that innumerable number. Well, there, there are, you know, John saw a number that, a huge mass of uh, worshipers that could not be numbered. Um, You know, we don't know how many will ultimately have been saved through the death and resurrection of Christ by the end of time, but it will certainly be, I I mean, I would venture to guess in the billions over, you know, 21 centuries, all the people that have been saved is going to be a massive number. To say that it's only going to be 144 is just you know what? Ridiculous. It's just stupid. It's yeah. just, you know, you have to close your eyes to the entire Bible to say that. And yet, you know, people believe it just because they write it. That's why it's so important to get into the word for yourself and see what it says. And don't listen to the teaching of just everybody that comes along and tells you that something is true from the Bible. Check it out yourself. And Sydney, what's even we're in a day of great deception. Yeah. Sydney, what's even worse is they believe Jesus is Michael, the archangel. He is not. He's God. That what is that's what the Bible says. This is what makes Christmas so unbelievable. When you look at Matthew chapter one, go read it in your King James Bible. It says this, and he shall be called Emmanuel. We sing that in our Christmas songs. Emmanuel means, and it says these exact words in the King James Bible, which translated means God with us. That's written in there. God with us is written in your King James Bible in Matthew chapter 1. His name shall be called Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. That's who he is. He's not Michael the Archangel. He's God. And you know, the cults all have two things in common. There is no hell, or it's annihilation, or it's a beautiful place. Or And the second one is, Jesus is not God. He's Lucifer's brother. He's Michael the Archangel. If you get into Middle Eastern religions, I'm Jesus, you're Jesus. We're all Jesuses. They always goof up Jesus's deity and there is no hell. Both of them. Jesus not only spoke of, but Jesus also tells us who he is. Hope that helps. Randy, Natasha, Travis, Tony, um, I know you waited Please, we'll put you on first thing tomorrow. Thanks so much, Jeff. Cindy, stay in line. I'll send you out some books, some DVDs on End Times. I think you'll enjoy. And uh, until then, God bless you. See you tomorrow. To more about this ministry or to receive a copy of today's program, please call 1-800-357-4226 or write us to Every Man and Answer, P.O. Box 391, Twin Falls, Idaho, 83303. That toll-free number is 1-800-357-4226. 
Subscribe to the free podcast on iTunes by searching for To Every Man and Answer in the iTunes store or visit us online at csnradio.com slash T-E-M-A. To Every Man and Answer is a production of CSN International, the Christian Satellite Network. The opinions expressed by our guests may or may not be those of CSN International or of this station. 